food. I started cooking years ago, trying to save some cash, right? And you know, I'm not some hoity-toity foodie. I'm not. I actually cook. In the kitchen with the pots and the pans. But I tend to have an adventurous palate. I like food. Still, I couldn't afford to waste anything. So the rule I set for myself was, yeah, experiment, go crazy, but whatever you make, you gotta eat. So that clam ragu with the fennel that turned into a nasty clump of hot mess, too bad. Choke it down and try again tomorrow, eh? After every meal became a contest between pushing my culinary boundaries on one hand and the risk of eating garbage on the other hand. I ate a lot of garbage. I couldn't help myself because of a simple disability that I have since discovered I share with a lot of other cooks, which is the complete inability to follow a recipe. Oh, I can read them. I might even have the ingredients they're talking about, but if I attempt to follow the recipe, any recipe, step by step, a little voice in the back of my head starts in, no, 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 do this the other way instead. These recipe people don't know nothing. What this needs is some pureed garlic. Put that in the blender. I'm telling you, it's going to be awesome. That's what you stick on your pork belly. But don't, don't put it in the oven like that stupid book says. Shave it down into thin strips. No, no, no. Fry that on a hot griddle. Eat that. Thing is, sometimes, maybe even most of the time, that little voice is right. Then again, other times, when I look at the horror I have put on a plate, I think the cookbook itself would taste better. Today on Snap Judgment, by the book. Real stories from real people trying to toe the line. My name is from Washington. Don't worry. Just tell the kids to put ketchup on it. And you're listening. You're listening. To Snap Judgment. We're going to start off our By the Book episode in New Mexico and Bernalillo County where the stakes are high and it is not always clear who are the good guys and who are the bad guys. Carrie Brandenburg would always say to her children, You know, I'm not going to invest more in you than you're willing to invest in yourself. Gosh, I could say definitely I was a tough love mom. When her son Justin started getting into trouble, doing drugs, then breaking into people's homes, and ultimately getting picked up by the police, Carrie did her best to stay away. I couldn't make excuses for him, and I needed to hold him accountable. I never went to court. I never asked his attorney when any dates were occurring. I never read any police reports. In a way, I felt bad because I couldn't even be a mother, but I just thought it was important that I not do so. Because? Well, just because of a potential conflict of interest. Carrie was district attorney of Bernalillo County, where Albuquerque sits. She's actually the county's longest-serving DA. And while she might have been the poster mom for tough love, 
people in the county had started to question why Carrie wasn't that steadfast when it came to the Albuquerque Police Department, especially in light of all the recent police shootings. Which came first, the taser or the gun? That is what Albuquerque police are trying to determine after the department's latest officer-involved shooting. Police say officers tonight shot a man with a gun outside his home, a man who may have been drunk. Three Albuquerque police officers pull up on a violent suspect and opening fire on him within seconds. A total of 22 people were shot and killed by Albuquerque police over the course of just three years. And Kerry's office, which is in charge of holding police officers accountable, had not prosecuted a single one. In fact, Kerry had never prosecuted an officer in all her time in office. We did not proceed against any officer on an officer-involved shooting because we did not feel we had probable cause, the legal standard that we needed to go forward with the prosecution. But by the start of Carrie's fourth run as district attorney, a local reporter exposed a huge crack in the system. I think I started to report on, on the grand juries in 2012. Jeff Proctor is a journalist who's been covering the criminal justice system in Albuquerque for the past 15 years. What the DA's office was doing around that time when I really started to focus on this issue they would take that police investigation, and to the best of the public's knowledge, they would present it to a grand jury. Now this is where it gets tricky. In a regular shooting in Bernalillo County, the district attorney decides whether they have probable cause to prosecute that person, and then that case goes to a grand jury. But when it came to police shootings, there was a different system in place entirely. Instead of Carrie's office making the tough call, in-house, of whether or not to charge an officer with the crime, she handed that decision over to a 12-person panel called an investigative grand jury. And this had been the process from the 1980s, and when I came into office, I followed that process um, because I thought it was better to have 12 people make that decision that didn't have a dog in the fight, so to speak, than the district attorney. We thought that was a traditional grand jury where they were considering whether or not to charge the police officer. And what we came to learn was that those grand juries did not have the power or authority to indict a police officer for an on-duty shooting, even if they had wanted to. The only power these so-called investigative grand juries had was to find probable cause to indict. But they never even did that. Instead, they gave the illusion that a police shooting had been prosecuted, when in reality, it had not. And just to give you a flavor of how friendly this process was to the police officers, the officer would come in and meet with the prosecutor in advance of the grand jury presentation and go over the story, and the officer wouldn't even bring a lawyer with him. It was very, very crazy. The end result is that in Bernalillo County, no police shooting ever made it to a real grand jury. And critics will say that's the whole point. It was a system that was designed to clear police officers. And it worked exactly as it was designed to work. Kerry argues that it's because probable cause is so hard to establish especially when it comes to an on-duty police officer. 
because when a police officer said, I thought he had a gun and I had, you know, one tenth of a second to react, it's much more complicated. And the law gives them broader discretion. You know, we were frustrated with parts of the law, but when it got right down to it, I don't know that you'd want to change that law. And and so from where you're sent, where you sit as DA, like the protocols in place just made sense. It made sense, yes. It would be very wrong for us to attempt to indict a police officer um, just because the public wants one or the media wants one. And so you mentioned we. I'm curious about you. When I say we, I I always say we. Um, Talking about the office, and we had a number of people weighing in. Um, I had three chief deputies and then myself. Ultimately, you know, I'm responsible. If anything goes wrong, I'm the one that, that can be held accountable. Not long after these investigative grand juries were exposed, a district judge went to Cary and said, you can't do this anymore. You don't have a legal authority to use our grand juries in this fashion. And ultimately, the practice was stopped. By now, all eyes were on Albuquerque. The Department of Justice was in town, investigating the police department for use of excessive force. And for months, Carrie sat on a backlog of police shooting cases, as her office scrambled to come up with a better practice for holding police officers accountable. There was a fair amount of outrage among a growing group of family members of of people who'd been shot by the police um, and others in the community who went regularly to city council meetings. And there would be, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 people in a row signed up for public comment all basically saying the same thing. Something needs to change with our police department. But I would say that it really exploded after the release of the video recording of two officers shooting a homeless camper named James Boyd. The police shooting of James Boyd set off a series of events that would leave no one untouched, including Carrie Brandenburg. On a sunny day in March of 2014, James Boyd was camping up in the foothills of East Albuquerque. A neighbor called the police to report that James Boyd was out there illegally, making noise and threatening a dog. Two officers showed up. How's it going? Go ahead and come out. It's Albuquerque police. Let me see your hands. They abandoned the effort to try to reason with Mr. Boyd. Uh, homeless, deeply mentally ill man who had two small pocket knives with him. Drop the knife. Drop the knife. Drop the knife, please. Drop the knife. Drop the knife. Drop the knife. And ultimately about 20 officers showed up on scene. They put into place this haphazard plan to take him into custody. They threw a flashbang, sicked a dog on him. Tried to shoot him with a taser shotgun, which didn't work. And then two officers fatally shot him as he was turning away from them. And it was at that time one of the clearest looks in American history from an officer's perspective at a fatal police shooting. 
The entire incident was captured on the helmet camera of one of the officers who shot James Boyd. A week later, the Albuquerque Police Department released the video. And it's a very difficult video to watch. It's a man being killed on video. So from a human perspective, it's, um, it's brutal. I remember seeing the video over and over and over as probably, you know, millions of other people. I did not see why it was necessary to shoot him at the time that they shot. I didn't understand that. Now, I can tell you as a, as a prosecutor, as a DA, you know, we don't have the luxury of looking at that tape of the shooting and jumping to conclusions. So I wanted more information. It would take the Albuquerque Police Department six months to turn over its report of the James Boyd shooting to the district attorney's office. Once Carrie had it in her hands, it took her one month to decide what to do. We felt like we had probable cause. Um, there was enough question and that we needed to proceed by way of preliminary hearing and allow a judge to look at everything and decide whether or not to move the case forward to trial. And so this was the first time that you're deciding to file murder charges against two officers? Yes. What was different about the Boyd case? Well, for one, we had a video of it that showed the actual shooting, and it was very clear. We had probable cause. You know, we had evidence that would meet that legal standard. We told the community when we had probable cause, we would go forward. Was it a hard decision to decide to prosecute for you? It was, um, yes, it it was very, very difficult. It was probably one of the most difficult decisions, you know, Uh, I had to make as district attorney. How so? Why? Well, we knew that the police department wasn't going to be happy. Um, There was no question about that. But we had to do what we felt like we had to do. Carrie talked to the defense attorney for the two officers who shot James Boyd and told him she planned to bring criminal charges against them. And um, his response is, you know, that's what I figured. But before Carrie could even carry out that decision, she got a knock on her door one Friday morning. Our PIO, public information officer, came into my office and she said, Carrie, I got an email from a reporter from the Albuquerque Journal and he wants to know, do you have any comment about um, being a suspect in a case involving your son? Carrie's son, Justin, was charged for burglarizing two homes a year and a half before. At the time, Carrie had talked to the victims and encouraged them to report the crime. But now the police department was claiming that Carrie had tried to bribe these victims so they wouldn't report her son to the police. I couldn't get my head around, you know, how can you tell two people to go to the police and then you're, you know, then you're a suspect in bribing them. I I don't even know if there's words for how I felt. I was um, shocked, and it just came out of nowhere. Two days later, the Albuquerque Journal broke the story. Which obviously called my integrity and honesty into question. I wasn't feeling good. I never thought I would be in a situation where I was a suspect in a criminal case. 
It had been two months since Carrie told the police she was going to prosecute the two officers who shot James Boyd. And now she found herself the target of an investigation by the same police department. When reporter Jeff Proctor dug further into the story, he learned that the police department had opened this investigation into Carrie the year before, but lacking any solid evidence, they had closed it. And around the time that she started to make noise about charging the officers and the Boyd shooting, it didn't necessarily get reopened, but they, the Albuquerque Police Department took this big box full of stuff from, from this investigation they'd conducted, and they drove it up to the state attorney general's office. They set the box on a conference room table in the AG's office and didn't tell anybody that it was there. And this was over the Thanksgiving weekend. So the attorney general's folks discovered the box the following Monday or Tuesday when they got back to the office. Meanwhile, the city of Albuquerque gave the case file to the Albuquerque Journal. And the Albuquerque Journal wrote a story before the attorney general had even seen the file saying that Carrie Brandenburg was a suspect. The day after the story broke, Carrie decided to hold a press conference at her attorney's office. I was very clear in saying I did not do anything and I would not do anything that was um, criminal or illegal or use my position as district attorney in any way whatsoever. And I never would have done anything that would absolve um, my son of, of responsibility for his actions. And then one reporter asked, Carrie, will you continue with your probe of any uh, police shootings, including the boy shooting? I said it's, it's business as usual, and I will continue to, to do my job. I was even more determined, you know, to, to press on and, and do what I thought was the right thing in regard to the Boyd case. A month later, Carrie finally filed criminal charges against the two officers who shot James Boyd. But if she thought it was going to be business as usual, it certainly was not. The following day, there was another officer involved shooting involving the Albuquerque Police Department. Two officers shot and killed a man during a foot chase. And when Carrie's chief deputy showed up on the scene, like they always do, she was asked to leave. And my chief called me up and said, Carrie, we're getting kicked off. Carrie told her to sit tight. She got on the phone with the city attorney and other officials. And they basically said, we don't want you here. You're proceeding on the Boyd case, and we think that creates all sorts of issues. I said, we have to. It's our responsibility to be there. The very next day, city officials made themselves even clearer. The mayor's top executive sent Carrie a letter calling on her to remove herself from prosecuting the James Boyd case and appoint a special prosecutor. They argued that because she was now a suspect in a case involving her son, she was no longer impartial towards the police department. What's your reaction? You know, I, I, it was, uh, I think I said this is the twilight zone. I mean, we, we are living in the twilight zone. Um, it's bizarre, is what I thought. But Carrie held her ground and kept moving forward with the case, until... The judge has just ordered District Attorney Carrie Brandenburg's office to be taken off the James Boyd murder case. Over the fact that Brandenburg charged the two APD officers with murder, around the same time police were investigating her in connection to criminal cases involving her son. 
Now, even though the judge points out that the two cases are not linked, she says the appearance that they're connected creates a conflict. In fact, the court said there wasn't a conflict of interest, but there was an appearance of a conflict of interest, and she removed us from prosecuting the case. One of the attorneys for one of the officers said, made some comment like, well, now that the DA's office is conflicted off, I'm sure that they won't be able to find someone to prosecute the case, so it'll probably end up being dismissed. It left a bad taste in my mouth. A lot of things that happened left a bad taste in my mouth. Carrie might have been conflicted off the case, but the judge did task her with finding someone else willing to prosecute the two officers. In removing Carrie, ultimately what the defense lawyers for these two officers got was an opponent who was one of the best trial lawyers in the Southwest. Carrie brought in an attorney named Randy McGinn, and she took the case all the way to a criminal trial where the officers who killed James Boyd had to face murder charges. But in the end, the jury hung. Three chose to convict, nine chose to acquit. So, you know, we were validated all the way up the line um, until it got to the jury. And, and the jury hung. Wow. What do you think of that? Well, I'm, I'm surprised they didn't acquit outright. It's very, very difficult to get a conviction. And I think that most people in our community, at least most people in the legal community, were assuming that the officers would be acquitted. And we were surprised that it was a hung jury and that three people voted to convict. With the hung jury, there was still a chance that the two officers would be retried. But that decision would not be up to Carrie. I've written a bunch of stories about that in the aftermath of, of the hung jury. There were people who were very upset. There were other people, you know, who took sort of more of a, a 30,000 foot view and said, you know what, the, the officers were charged. We had a public preliminary hearing done with the lights on. And then, you know, we had a public trial where both sides got to make their case and 12 people got to decide what the result was going to be. So this was, in fact, the system working. Carrie had long ago decided that her fourth term as district attorney would be her last. I'd ask someone to shoot me before I'd run again because that was just a lot of time. I want to get back to some kind of quality of life with my family. Before she left office, she did get one bit of good news. The attorney general cleared Carrie as a suspect in the case involving her son, Justin. And what he determined was that the entire APD investigation and the way it was handled and the way it was publicly disclosed had been politically motivated. In fact, I interviewed him shortly after he uh, released his report, and I asked him point blank, what do you mean by politically motivated? And he would not elaborate. I was relieved. I just read that he said that there was no evidence, and, you know, that was the end of it, and that's pretty much all I cared about. Did you feel redeemed in any way? You know, I didn't feel redeemed. I wish. I felt dirty from the whole mess. Um, it was ugly. It was nasty. It was negative. And I don't know that I'll ever feel cleansed from that. Um, but, you know, you, you do the best you can and, and move forward. 
very big thank you to Carrie Brandenburg. And we do have an update. Earlier this year, the new district attorney of Bernalillo County decided not to retry the two officers who shot James Boyd. One of those officers is trying to get his job back with the Albuquerque Police Department. Meanwhile, the number of police shootings dropped to seven in 2016. For more of what's going on in Albuquerque, we'll have links to some of Jeff Proctor's original reporting for the Albuquerque Journal on our website, snapjudgment.org. If you missed even a moment of this story, subscribe to the Snap Judgment podcast. Big thanks as well to Jeff Proctor. The original score was by Renzo Gorio, and that story was produced by Snap Judgment's Nancy Lopez. Coming up on Snap Judgment, shenanigans in the library. For real, when the By the Book episode continues, stay tuned. From WNYC Studios, welcome back to Snap Judgment the Buy the Book episode. My name is Ben Washington. Now, today we're doing things by the book, but that doesn't mean we're doing them right. I'm pulling out the Snap Judgment way back machine out of the garage. Isn't she nice? The chrome, the fins, the blue light. Because I'm going to share a story of my own about a little hobby I picked up. I was in a high school library. Get my little Mac on. I pulled a book off the shelf to draw attention away from my good-looking buddy Chris. It worked. The book was called Hypnotism. Let me hypnotize you, I said to the pretty girl next to me, Carrie. Beautiful Carrie. You can't hypnotize anybody. We'll see. I begin to read. First of all, I want you to relax. Relax. Everybody, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. Like I said, first of all, I want you to relax. Inhale. Exhale. Every sound you hear, every breath you take, you will find yourself becoming more deeply and deeply relaxed. Inhale. Exhale. And deeper. And deeper, and deeper, and deeper, and deeper. You are now hypnotized. I looked up, and there, pretty Carrie sat, rocking just a little bit, back and forth, back and forth. Her eyes almost closed, looking at nothing, nothing at all. Hypnotized, baby. People started shouting, Carrie, Carrie, stop playing, Carrie. I'm like, quiet, shh, quiet, fools. I'm in the middle of something. I turn the next page. Now, Carrie, close your eyes, close them. Imagine that your eyelids are so heavy, so very, very heavy that you could never open them. Now, Carrie, I want you to try to open your eyes. She tried, but as much as she struggled, she couldn't do it. Awesome. Carrie, wake up, darling, because you was hypnotized. The 
crowd went wild. I was going to be a hero, witnesses in everything. I couldn't wait to go to school the next day. Turned out, though, my buddy Chris figured to put a monkey wrench in my plans. The library had two copies of the book. So at school the next day, Chris successfully put one of the jocks under and had him barking like a dog all over the gymnasium. I seethed and countered by hypnotizing three people at the same time and having them huddled together for warmth, convinced it was 30 degrees below zero. Chris came back later the same day. Reports were that several people were begging for water as they were so very, very, very thirsty. I came back and I came back hard. Holy grail, age regression. Okay, I want you to imagine yourself growing younger. Do you understand? Younger. 12, 10, 8 years old, 5, 4 years old, 3. Now, James, come up here, come up here, and write your name on the blackboard. I can't. Why not? I don't know how to write my name. Screams the shock. The respect was palpable. Then, news from the drama class. Chris, Chris had done the unthinkable, the unbelievable, the unholy. Past life regression. I ran to see for myself. Ten, eight years old, five, three years old, two, one. Zero. You are surrounded by a sea of warm water. Darkness, darkness, darkness. Now, if you see a light, swim, swim towards that light, swim. Some claim they can re-enter the bodies of former selves through the aid of concentrated focus. Concentrate with me now. On the count of three, one. And wouldn't you know it, the girl stood up, blinked her eyes wide, and started speaking in gobbledygook, blah, 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 as if it were a real language. I was so pissed. But it was so cool. So very cool. Chris, I had to hand it to a man that was hot. That was hot. He tells me that I'm coming with him to see Mr. Tom. Mr. Tom, Mr. Tom was only the baddest, coolest stage hypnotist we had ever just heard of. Dude, the show was amazing. Mr. Tom was amazing. He hypnotized 40 audience members at a toss, and then the fun started. People stormed the stage with secret messages. Others screamed in alien languages. Still others leapt up to translate. Make no mistake, for us, this was the highest form of high art. After the show, Mr. Tom was mobbed, but we bit our time because we're not groupies. Thanks for coming out, fellas. How can I help you? 
I told him everything about all the tricks we had done and about how badass we were. And I was about to say something else cool about us. And Mr. Tom exploded. You idiot! You idiot! This is not a toy! This is not something that two jackasses can play at! You, you listen to me! Listen! This tool short circuits all the protective covering people have built up over lifetimes! You clowns want to fool with age regression? Did you see how I asked everybody if they had a happy childhood? A happy childhood. If they hesitated for even a second, I made them sleep. Only the happy got to play the good time games. But what if I brought someone to age three in their house when they were three, maybe things weren't going so well with the new stepdad. Maybe they're locked in a closet, maybe whatever. People are carrying around stuff. Just barely hold it together and they don't need you bastards screwing with them. I want you idiots to promise me. Right here and right now, you're gonna knock this crap off. Yes, Mr. Tom, sir. Right now. Yes, Mr. Tom, sir. The next day, I was there at the library to do something I have never done before or since. I actually returned a library book early. Snappers, by original scores by Dirk Schwartzoff. And crazy as it sounds, artist Joe Goling, Super Snapper, has animated that story for Snap Judgment Films. It's available for your viewing pleasure right now at snapjudgment.org. We're so proud. Know this. You never reach the end of the story, Snapper, because the story never ends. More Snap Judgment storytelling than you can imagine awaits you right now. Laugh, cry, evolve into a new, better person with us in the car, at the gym, doing the dishes. The Snap Judgment Storytelling Podcast on Spotify. Get it on iTunes, on Stitcher, Google Play, SoundCloud. Get it with mustard and ketchup if you have to. But get it, Snappers. Snap Judgment was made by the team that has never done anything by the book. Make faces at the biggest rule breaker of them all. The producer, Mr. Mark Ristich. Pat Messini Miller makes good sounds sound good. Anna Sussman speaks softly. Joe Rosenberg carries a big stick. Nancy Lopez has a secret. Renzo can't see Gorio. Adiza, the napper Egan. Liz, the rapper Matt. The tapper, Leon Morimoto. Eliza Smith owns her own bowling shoes. Taylor Cott found the one ring. Jasmine Aguilera threw it into the lake. And even though this is not the news, no way is this the news. In fact, you could follow the instructions in the library book on how to hypnotize a fellow student. And when she goes under, have absolutely no idea how to bring her out because you haven't gotten to that chapter yet. True story. And you would still, still not be as far away from the news as this is. But this is WNYC. WNYC.